Okay, in light of this series, how, how you doing? How you doing with this older brother thing? Last week we kind of nailed the older brother a little bit and kind of identified with him. Uh, maybe some of you identify. How, can I just ask for a show of hands, or you can keep him in your lap since we do that a lot in this church anyway? But um, especially when some of us are clapping. But um, uh, different point. How, how many of you say you kind of identify a little more with that older brother? Okay. How many say you a little identify a little more with that younger brother? How many, some of you, this is really nailing your family system, like the real older brother, younger brother thing, and you're just a little bit irritated with the whole thing. Okay, yeah, good, I see that hand. Yeah, bless, bless you, brother. Um, it's a kid I'm mentoring. So, Jason, we'll talk this week, okay? So, okay. <laughs> we discussed this series a little bit this week at our Board of Spiritual Life meeting on, uh, on Monday night, all the leaders of our church, and I just asked them, I, I said, how's it going, and what, what are you hearing? How's it going? And some said, you know, it's really going well in our small group. We're digging into it there. We talked about uh, the week that we showed the whole video, and most people thought that was great. One group thought it was maybe just a little, maybe a little too much, a little monotonous. But uh, basically, there's been a, a fairly positive response. And then I asked, so what else are you hearing and thinking? And, and they were kind enough to say to me, um, Scott, you know, we haven't actually looked at the whole text yet. We haven't actually looked at, at Luke 15, 11 through 32. Uh, Scott, Scott, you're actually you're actually doing this. You're sort of assuming that everybody knows this story. Maybe it would be a good idea to print it in the bulletin. So I love it. This group speaks to me. They're not afraid to talk to me about this. And so uh, it's there in the bulletin. Uh, I printed on the along with the, the sermon notes the whole text of Luke 15. Um, we're still not going to read it all, uh, but you can have it there for reference. But I also want you to note that I included the whole chapter of Luke, not just uh, 11 through 32, which is the story of the prodigal son, or that we know best as the story the prodigal son. I wanted to include those first two short parables, the one about the lost sheep and the one about the lost coin, uh, and then the much longer one about the lost son. Because as we get more familiar with the longer one, we'll be reminded that Jesus really meant for these three to hang together. He's, he's giving one, one talk here, and these three really kind of help each other out. He was telling all three of these parables to this really the same audience. And as we've come to learn, it was really a hostile audience. His audience there is not all the needy sinners, but his audience is the older brothers, the Pharisees who think that they've got it all together. And so really the three parables need to be considered together. Our study these weeks from the prodigal God is focusing on this, uh, that the prodigal God is giving us a, a new way of understanding the extravagant grace of God found in this familiar parable in Luke 15. And now if it's not familiar, you can read it and it'll be a little more familiar. Extravagant grace. We're taken by that in this parable that this younger brother would come back and and at no charge to him, God would include him back at the table. But as we look at these three together, we learn some more things around looking for lost things and we look at something about a price that really was in fact paid for them. And the grace is extravagant, but we learn that it comes with a price. And so today, as we press into the costliness of that grace... We uncover what the older brother should have done, and then we discover that Jesus is, in fact, our true elder brother. We uncover something about the costliness of the grace, and we get a new view of the brother and see what he should have done, and that Jesus, in fact, in the telling of the story, is the true elder brother. So let's take a look. First of all, I'm going to look at this costly reconciliation, the price that was paid. Secondly, this missing elder brother, why we have these other stories here and what it tells us about what the older brother should have done. And then we look at Jesus as the, the true elder brother. First of all, this costly reconciliation. What did it cost to bring the other younger brother home? At first glance, it seems to have cost nothing. It seems to have been free for the younger brother. 
There's, there, there's no punishment. He is just sort of, he's just sort of swept up by the father. The father runs out to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He lavishes him with thing. He gives him a robe. It's probably the father's own expensive robe he gives him. <clears throat> he gives him a, a ring to wear. It's probably the family's signet ring that you could seal documents with, that kind of thing. And then he throws him this, this huge welcome home party. That's all it is. And it's, and it's all free for the younger son. This has led some to interpret this as a teaching that this is just what God is like. The reasoning goes like this. God in heaven is like this father. He just forgives and accepts anyone who asks. There's no need for the classic Christian doctrine of atonement. Christ dying for sins. Christians have taught that God cannot simply forgive, that there must be a payment for sin. But here we see that reconciliation is completely free. Now, if you just listen to that that part, that's, that's not true, by the way, what I just said, okay? But sometimes that's the approach to this. We see this extravagant grace. We see this free gift. There's nothing. The son doesn't cost him anything. He's back at the table. He's back in the family. It's kind of what it looks like when we're looking at just this first part of the story. But as we know, Jesus doesn't stop there. And it's not the right interpretation. The reconciliation is free to the younger brother. It is completely free to him. But it's costly for someone else. Now, it's costly in some ways to the father. There's the cost of this welcome home party, this feast. To kill the fatted calf was not like running out to the butcher store. This was was a big deal. This didn't happen often. It took a special party for that to happen. Giving him his own robe and giving him back something which he'd already taken his own fair share and yet Father is giving him now more, the robe and the ring. And as he does these things, we find out that the older brother is furious with that. He's angry that his father is giving more stuff to this kid that he had already given to him. But his anger is deeper than just being upset about the cost of the party, the robe, and the ring. He's upset because he is really the one paying the price of reconciliation. Because while it might be free for the younger brother, it is very expensive for the elder brother. Remember now, the father had given the younger brother his entire legal part of the inheritance. And he had spent it all, and it is gone. But now the father is restoring him into the family. He's already given the robe, the ring, the fatted calf, and the younger brother's share of the wealth is gone. The, his share of the wealth, so any expense now comes out of somebody else's pocket. And whose pocket is that? That would be the older brother's pocket. Because everything belongs to the older brother really already. The father in verse 31 says that he says, everything I have is yours. And he means it literally. The younger son's gone. Everything I have is yours. And that means that, uh, so anything spent now, now with the younger brother reconciling back in the family, Anything that is spent now is a cost borne by the elder brother. Get it? The, son is shit, the younger son's completely spent his whole part. Anything now belongs to the older brother. Anything spent now, any cost now, is a cost and a price paid by the older brother. And so the salvation, the restoration of this younger brother is not free after all. It's already been expensive and it will continue to be so and the father cannot forgive the younger brother except except at the expense of the older brother. He bears the cost of the reconciliation. Okay, but now we need to look a little bit more here at this elder brother and and what Jesus is doing and it kind of is where these other two parables come in of the lost coin and the lost sheep. The older brother knows all this. He knows that it's a cost to him. He knows that forgiveness and reconciliation are never free. And he knows that somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay. 
Either the younger brother has to come back and earn his way back into the family. And actually, that's what the younger son asked to do. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Let me be as one of your hired people, meaning I will work and I will come up with the money and I will pay you back. I will purchase my salvation back, he says. So either the younger brother has to come back and earn his way into the family, or he can come back immediately through forgiveness. And then the older brother will have to bear the cost. It's not free. Somebody has to pay. This reconciliation, this salvation is not free. Somebody has to pay, the younger brother or the elder brother. And the older brother knows this. And he does not like it, oh, not one little bit. And so he refuses to do it. I won't do it. I won't come to your party. I will not buy into this at all, Father. Being a Pharisee, as Jesus tells it, he's he's holding to his own righteousness and not wanting to budge or lose control of what he has. But that's not where Jesus leaves it. Here's where the other two parables inform us as they are about looking for the lost. There's this theme of looking for the lost in here. In each of the first two parables, there's a a lost object and someone goes out and searches for it and finds it. Looking for the lost, searches for it, finds it, brings it home and everyone rejoices. The shepherd shepherd searches until he finds the lost sheep. The woman searches until she finds the lost coin. And so when we get to the parable of the lost son, the listeners fully expect that someone will set out and search for the lost brother and bring him home. They look for the coin, they look for the sheep, they'll look for the brother, but no one goes out to search for the younger brother. As Jesus tells the story. And so he's leading. He's leading this group. He's leading us to ask, who should have gone out to search for this boy? Who should have gone out to look for this lost brother? And apparently... The answer would have been obvious to the first century listeners. It should have been who? The older brother. He's the one that should have gone out to look for the lost brother. That's the reason that the older brother got the lion's share of the state. He got two-thirds and the younger brother got one. He gets more of a share of it because he has more responsibilities as the heir. He has more responsibilities to, to sustain the family unity. He still has to care for the family. He needs to sustain the family unity. He needs to maintain its place in the community, uphold its standing in the community. He needs to do everything he can to keep that family together. The older brother in the parable should have said something more like this. He should have said, Father, my younger brother has been a fool, and now his life is in ruins. But I will go look for him and bring him home. And if the inheritance is gone, as I suspect it is, I will bring him back into the family at my expense. That's what he should have said, but it's not what he said. That's not the kind of brother that Jesus puts in this story because he's trying to nail the Pharisees here. Instead, in our story, the father and the younger brother have to deal with this selfish man, this resistant older brother, this unforgiving, self-righteous older brother who says, I have always obeyed and I ought to get something for that. It shouldn't cost me. He wouldn't look for the younger brother who was lost. We're lost too. Who looks for us? This is all told and set up by Jesus to make the hearer long for the right kind of older brother, the the true older brother, one who if we go astray as a younger brother won't hold us against us, but will look for us and will bring us back at any risk and any cost to himself. We need a true elder brother. Tim Keller, in his interpretation of the story, encourages us this point to to think of what kind of elder brother we need. 
Keller says this, he says, we need one who would not just go into a far country, but who would come all the way from heaven to earth to find us. He says, we need one who would not just open his wallet for us, but pour out his life for us. We need one who would not pay just a finite cost, but an infinite debt to bring us into God's family. Keller's describing the true older brother, and of course, he is describing Jesus, our Savior, the true older brother who pays the price. Our true elder brother. And when the father says to the older brother, everything I have is yours, that is literally true of Jesus. God the Father says, everything I have is yours. It's true of Jesus in his relationship with God the Father. Jesus had all of God's nature. Jesus held all of God's glory. He had an equal glory with the Father. But the gospel story, the good news of the story, the incarnation, is that he emptied himself of that and he became a man and came to earth that we might know the love and forgiveness of the Father. Jesus had everything the Father, but he lost it to pay the price for us to save us. He was willing to give it up in order to save us. This emptying of Jesus then points to Jesus' sacrifice. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 2, verses 4 through 10. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus had everything from the Father, but was willing to set it aside in order to save us. Tim Keller asks again, how do we get the Father's robe? Because Jesus was stripped naked on the cross. How do we get the Father's feast? Because Jesus took the cup of wrath that we might have the cup of joy. He is our true elder brother, and he even says so in Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. The writer of the Hebrews says this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Jesus declares himself as our brother. And he becomes the true elder brother. Jesus came to earth and truly, truly obeyed his father in all things. He never disobeyed the father's direction. He truly had the right to all that the Father owns. But he wanted us at this table. He wanted us included at the table where there is that extravagant grace, where there is a place in life with him, a place in the family of God. He wanted us at his table. He wants us to be found. He wants us home at the feast. And so he came and he searched and he looked for us and he wooed us and he brought us and he found us sometimes in a pigsty and he carried us home on his shoulders and he was singing with joy. And he gave us his very own robe. He gave us the family ring. He gave us his riches and his wealth and his very self all at his expense. The sacrifice of Christ 
our true elder brother. And what he calls us now to do is to come to that place where we let this truth impact who we are. He calls us to this place where, where, where we, 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 we allow our, our hearts to be changed. Whether we're over here as a younger brother and sort of in our rebellion, wanting to do our own thing, self-focused and trying to do what we want to do to enjoy life, or we're over here uh, caught up in the control issues of the older brother and our self-righteous place of trying to prove what we deserve. He's looking to change hearts on both ends of the spectrum and bring us to this place of, of the table. I only added one thing to the table this week, and that is the cross of Christ. We've been talking how the purple is a reminder of Jesus' royalty as well as his suffering because of the purple robe that he wore when he was being mocked and abused and whipped. But now we put the cross before us to remind us of the price uh, that he paid. The price paid so that we can come and sit at the table. It's a work that really ought to work its way into our hearts and not just our heads. We need to understand it in our heads too, but we've got to let it work its way into our hearts. Softening the self-righteousness and control of the older brother and softening the rebellion and the self-focused pleasures of the younger brother and saying, I want a heart that responds to Jesus and can relax and enjoy and be at feast with him as I walk with him. We're getting close. We're getting close to Holy Week. <laughs> Next week's the week that we begin to do it. We celebrate on Palm Sunday the, the parade into town and yet the, the, the darkness of the week that's hanging out there. Monday, Thursday, we'll come in here and it'll be a little bit darker, a little more subdued. We will celebrate communion around the image of the upper room and yet then we will move into the text of the passion of Christ and the death and the sacrifice and the price that he paid. And then, then we'll be ready to celebrate the feast, the great feast, the wedding feast with our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time of year. Lord, we confess there's so many things that distract us from what's going on. and Too often Easter gets invaded by outfits and candy and baskets and eggs. And while that's all okay, Lord, we ask that in our hearts you would draw us to the very core of new life and the resurrection of Jesus. And now, Lord, as we work our way towards Easter, that you would impress upon us the price that you paid, the cost, costliness of grace, and what it means for us to be forgiven of our, our sins. Lord, some of us today need to confess our older brotherness. Some of us need to confess our younger brotherness. We all need to choose to follow you and let your grace change our hearts, Lord, that we might know your joy and your goodness. We ask this, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.